Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 619. Don't make contributions to mediocrity because the world is full of it. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Craig Watkins. Craig, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am. All right. Great to have you here. Craig Watkins grew up in San Francisco and at that young age of six started carting around his parents' property. That morphed into doom buggies and Baja bugs, and his love for racing was bit. His college degree and career was in manufacturing engineering, and Craig's first race was in a score off-road race series through the 1980s with Greg Aronson. He won eight races and 42 starts in that class. He club raced his 1973 Porsche 911, and that led to an engineering position with Porsche 996 GT3 Cup cars, And then he joined that team Flying Lizard Motorsports, where he was the chief engineer. It was there that he met Roland Kusmal, a Porsche factory racing engineer who was in charge of the GT3 product line. And this led to Craig's first book, Kusmal Chronicles, the story of Roland Kusmal's contribution to Porsche's total crushing domination. Those are some really cool years. And I have a special treat for one of our subscribers. In fact, we're going to give two books away today, thanks to uh, Craig's generosity. So one lucky subscriber here at Cars Yeah is going to win a copy of this book. And then a second book we'll give away that'll both be autographed. So thank you for doing that. Craig, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share a little bit more about your career and your passion for automobiles and racing? Sure. Well, when I was a young guy, I was I always loved machines and whether it was lawnmowers or roller coasters or anything like that, I was always curious with how things worked. And it took me a long, long time to realize that that all those interests and fascinations really were centered around the discipline of engineering. And then uh, when I got out of college, I didn't know, or got out, of, got out of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to study, and so I just worked. I built VW racing engines with a guy down in Santa Clara, California, and we were sort of, we came to a point where we couldn't get any more power out of the engine because we just didn't understand it well enough, really. And we were talking to an engineer who leased a space around the corner from us, part-time professor at San Jose State, and he said, 
ah, it's just a thermodynamic function. And I, <laughs> and I looked at him and said, thermodynamics, what's that? He said, it's a study heat transfer. And I said, oh, wow, wow. And so I went back to see him a couple of days later and said, so tell me more about thermodynamics. Where do you learn that kind of stuff? He said, that's for mechanical engineering. That was really the first really big epiphany in my life. And I thought, aha, that's, that's what I've got to study. And so I went back to junior college, got myself into Cal Poly and went down there and got a degree in manufacturing engineering. So there that was, uh, that was, <laughs> <laughs> isn't it amazing when we just talk to people sometimes and they just spark some interest there and go, ah, there's a path I need to go down. And the rest is history, as they say. And we're going to learn a lot more about your background and your, your life in engineering and racing and being around cars. But first, as we continue on this journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Craig, take the wheel. You know, I've thought about that a lot, Mark. And I think just for myself, the reoccurring thought is that I tell myself, and I've told my children since they were little, is don't make contributions to mediocrity because the world is full of it. And uh, so that's that's a guiding uh, – it's, it's really not even a guiding. It's just a – it's just the way I am. I just cannot stand things that are that are mediocre, mm-hmm. poorly thought out, or poorly executed. So I would say that that's my. Uh, I don't like anything that's half-assed, Mark. <laughs> well, well, especially <laughs> in the career you've chosen, you can't really be an engineer and do things half-assed because, oh my gosh, it could lead to catastrophic failures. It could lead to loss of life, it especially can. when it comes to uh, cars and racing. But especially when it comes to buildings and bridges and all sorts of things, just uh, go and Google the bridge I drive over to get to my home here in uh, the Pacific Northwest, Galloping Gertie. You can go back and look at the Tacoma's Narrows Bridge and look what happened when that was poorly engineered. That, that was actually one of the things we studied when I was at Cal Poly was the failure of that bridge. Yep. Yeah, exactly. My wife uh, studied engineering at UCSD, and she studied that bridge as well. And we moved here. She said, oh, my gosh, this is the bridge that fell down. I'm not driving over that thing. Well, that bridge is at the bottom of the sound. This bridge is perfectly uh, fine. So yeah. I'd love for you to go back in time. Now, you shared a little bit about being a kid and loving karting and building things and going fast. But is there a pivotal moment in your life when you really realized that you were a car guy? Yeah, there was, actually. We lived, uh, I grew up down on the peninsula, the San Francisco Peninsula, and our next-door neighbor owned an uh, electrical contracting company, a large um, electrical contracting, electrical design company in San Francisco. And uh, at that time, they were doing a lot of reconstruction in in, in the Pacific uh, Rim countries after World War II and in Germany as well. And uh, his name is Mr. Gannon, and he bought a Porsche in 1955. And uh, he drove them until he was until he died when he was I think eighty eight. Wow! In two thousand five, he'd get a new one every oh four or five years, and um, never hot rodded them or did, he just drove them exactly as they were. But when I was I don't know maybe seven or eight or very young, I rode with him to the hardware store, and we and it was at a three fifty six, and the car. It just rode so differently than you know the, than the the Lincolns. My don't, my father always drove these big Lincolns. And sure, yeah. My mom would drive you know that the fifties and sixties stuff. You know, my mom would drive this Ford Country Squire station wagon <laughs> yep. or whatever it was. Those gigantic boats. Anyway, when I when I rode in that three fifty six, it just you know you could feel the road and you could sort of you bob, sort of bobbed along in the car. It, it felt awesome. And then later on in the late sixties or so, when I actually had my license or so. 
or license, driver's license. I was over and I saw Mr. Gannon one day and he said, Hey, you want to drive my 911? And Ooh. he had a 69 or 70 911S. Cool. And I said, Great. Yeah, really. And, uh, <laughs> and he, I said, Can I? Do you want me to just drive it around the block? And he said, no, no, you can take it for a few hours. So oh, I drove it over to uh, Half Moon Bay and oh, <laughs> I yeah. thought this car is... I'm never going home. <laughs> I'm never, yeah. I, I just love the way the car felt and the sound of the motor and the way it shifted. And Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, so. man, you were bit. Well, you know, I had a similar situation. The gentleman up the street owned a Chevrolet dealership, uh, Mr. Brown. And one day he brought home a Porsche 911 that had been traded in. I remember it was sepia brown, which... Yeah, I know that color. Yeah, you know, back then it was kind of like, ugh, kind of an ucky color. But anyway, he said, hey, well, you want to drive this thing? I'm like, really? And, uh, yeah, uh, I, I'd already loved Porsches, but I'd never driven one. I think I was 16 years old. So, yeah, they've bit me my whole life. I'm a big Porsche 911 lover, as my listeners know. So, Craig, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. Crawl under the hood, get our hands dirty, something you're certainly not afraid of, and ask you to share a huge challenge, even a big failure that you faced along the way in your career. But, of course, the most important part of this has to do with how you overcame that situation and what you learned. And as I'm sitting here asking this question, I'm thinking, this guy had a career in racing. Talk about where do you start? Because there are so many challenges with racing. I mean, you're up one day, down the other. So I'll let you take the road here. Okay, well, uh, for me, uh, all I could afford in the early days was uh, uh, were these VW Beetles, and I, I'd hot rod them, and they morphed into Baja Bugs, and then built a little sand buggy. And, and then about 1976, a friend of mine said, hey, well, we need to go out to Barstow and look at, watch some of these off-road races. There was a race there called the uh, Firecracker 250. So we went out and watched this off-road race at Barstow, and I thought, wow, that is pretty cool. And a lot of them were VW-based. I mean, there were Jeeps, there were trucks, but a lot of them were VW-based buggies, as, as a lot of those early cars were. There was a class called Class 9. It was a very entry-level class, very limited modifications you could make to the car. It was a steel tube chassis but you had to run a vw 1200 cc engine mm -hmm. which was perfect because when i got out of high school i worked for that guy jim wilde for formula v engines which were based on the air-cooled vw motors yeah, yeah so yeah. in class nine this class nine and off-road was also used as basically the same engine so it was right up our same alley so i decided i was going to build one of these cars and i and i did that over the next year year and a half and then uh, the first race that I went to that I entered, uh, I think there were, it was a very popular class, there were 40 or 45 cars in the class, in that class alone. And I finished, you know, 43rd or 44th and was so slow and the car just beat me to death and <laughs> yeah. it was miserable. And I thought, well, it's just, you know, that's the way off-road racing is. And so I went to another race and I got my ass pounded there and, yeah, finished last or close to last. And um, I thought, man, this, this is really weird. And then, then I went to another race. And, uh, and then I, and I didn't, in those days, I didn't know how to read the terrain or anything about off-road racing. Didn't know how to get the car up on the bumps at all or even how, how to set up a car to get up on the bumps at all or how, how, the, how the balls to drive a car to get up on the bumps, on top of the bumps. So I was going through this uh, little canyon and a guy in, you know, to you know, in off-road racing, the way you pass people is you come up behind them and you bump them from behind. You get through the dust oh, and then you bump them and then they get out of the way and you go by. Yeah, I'm here. But I didn't not really know that. So yeah. I felt this little bump behind me and I thought, oh, so I got on the gas a little bit and then the guy 
came back and he slammed me really, really hard. He hit me so hard I could see stars. Oh, my gosh. And I finished that race. I think I finished it. I may have broken, but uh, it. I thought to myself, I, I can't do this. This is, uh, you know, I, I just don't know. There's just so much to know, and I'm trying to do it all myself, and I can't, uh, I can't do this. Yeah. So I sold the car, but I kept going to off-road races. I go to two or three a year, go out and watch them, and... I was just in love with the whole concept, and and I kept thinking I I got to be able to figure this out. You know what what am I missing here, and so on. And so time went by, and I talked to people and learned more and more. And then eventually, I a couple, maybe two or three years later, I thought you know I'm going to build another car. So I built another car, and this time I understood more just by going to races and watching the way the cars worked and so on. And built a car. The car was was better built than the, the previous car was and I'd learned a lot just from observation and I used to ride uh, dirt bikes a lot and so I understood how they worked and so I started driving that car more aggressively and started to understand a little bit of suspension tuning and over the years I won a, maybe a year or two later I actually won a race cool so that was probably one of the biggest hurdles that I got over with a very very difficult false start with um yeah with a car that worked pa- it the car worked poorly and i worked poorly you know i didn't know i didn't know anything about what i was doing yeah. and, it, and it showed <laughs> what's your takeaway from that experience of of trying and then failing and then what you know sitting back and observing and then coming back what, what's the takeaway from that experience oh that you got to stick with it you mm. uh yep. you have to really just persevere through at least for me i wanted to I wanted to be successful at that sport. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know enough people, but I just observed and I thought to myself, there must be some way I can learn how to figure this out. And I mean, these other people are doing it and none of them look like Einstein's to me. So <laughs> there must be something that I can learn how to do yeah. and mimic it. Yeah. And so that's basically what I did was just, uh, I didn't talk much, but I'd go to the races and listen to people talking and I'd go to the awards the next day and listen to the people, you know, cause people are all sort of bragging and yeah, uh, sure. uh, talk about this. And I'd ask a few of the people that were really fast what they were doing and how they did it. And, and they'd share some things with me naturally. And there you go. Listen and learn. <laughs> yeah. Listen and learn and just persevered. Absolutely. Well, let's shift gears and. And go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's it's one of those times when you see a new direction, a new path that is before you. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. Well, I think an aha moment for me wasn't necessarily automotive. I mean, it was the thermodynamics thing was autom- was uh, a career aha moment for sure with getting myself, to getting to the point where I needed to understood that I need to study uh, engineering, and I did that. Business-wise was getting, um, you know, you get in, you're in business and you get screwed a few times, and it makes you the wiser. And so <laughs> yeah. by the time I was in my mid-30s, I started to realize this business is not for uh, the faint of heart, and to be successful at it, you got to be tough. And and so that was, a, that was another big important thing for me was to – uh, I started my own business when I left Hewlett Packard, and the business did not do well at all. It was a tough learning experience for me, and um, so that was consistent with the with the first off road car I built. It was a, a rough start, but then later in my thirties, I started thinking, "Hmm, I got to start planning for the long term." And so I bought a couple pieces of commercial property over the years with my brother, and and uh, 
and that taught me a lot about business. So that was more listening and more learning. That's for sure. Yep. It was very, very consistent for sure. In yeah, that way. yeah. I didn't really know it at the time, but it was. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty, as they say. How about a proudest career moment? I would assume you've had many. You've done so many different cool things, but is there one that stands out? In business or in racing? Could be either. Uh, well, in racing, for sure, it was uh, getting the overall pull at the 2011 Daytona 24 in that prototype that we ran at Flying Lizard and getting the, uh, the class pole position at Le Mans 2009. That was, those were, I mean, we won some championships and those were rewarding, but I think getting the pole at Le Mans was particularly rewarding to me because I thought, well, here's little old Craig from, uh, you know, the San Francisco Peninsula and what the hell am I doing at Le Mans and what <laughs> yes. the hell am I doing, you know, engineering these cars. And yet there I was. How did I get here? <laughs> How did I get here? And <laughs> so to get the pole there was very rewarding. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. I love it. I loved the years watching the Flying Lizard team run those Porsches. It was just fantastic. I was at several events live getting to see you guys run. I remember one at Miller Motorsport park and uh yeah very very cool congratulations yeah, thank you. let's have a little bit of fun here i want you to go back in time and share your first really special car and and share a memory you have of that vehicle <laughs> okay <laughs> so <laughs> in 1971 right i graduated from high school i bought a 1970 chevelle Supersport silver with black interior and uh had a 396 and a turbo hydro 400 cool. uh, automatic tranny and, uh, you know, I did the usual things of, I uh, put an Iskadarian cam in it and hooker headers and, uh, Edelbrock manifold and a, some Holly dual feed, whatever it was. The thing made monster power for the, for the time. You know, it's probably considered ordinary power today, but in those days, the thing was fast. Yeah. And, uh, and I put a set of uh, first generation BFG radials on it. And oh, okay. so the thing actually handled pretty decent. I mean, it had terrible brakes, but it was crazy fast. Yeah. So that that was a that was a special car for me, and one of the one of the <laughs> memorable moments in that car was down in the San Francisco Peninsula. There's a, a an expressway that that goes up through Palo Alto and down through to Santa Clara, so-called Foothill Expressway. And uh, I, I don't know, I was 18 or so, and I and I pulled onto the expressway, and I was following a, a similar generation. Cougar XR7. Sure. And, uh, and I saw as he came, we made this right hand turn on the expressway and I saw as he went on the turn, what made the turn, he got on the gas hard. So I just matted the throttle in the Chevelle and it was two lanes in each direction. So I went up alongside him and went by him. And by that time, I don't know, I was going 80 or 85 or 90 or something like that. And I saw this flash on my right and I turned around or I, you know, turned my head to the right and, and looked and it was a, it was a, it was a Santa Clara County Sheriff uh, sitting in the, oh. in the weeds. And I thought, Oh, I am screwed. Yeah. So I looked on the, my rear view mirror and I thought, let's see, should I stay on the throttle and just try and outrun this guy? <laughs> yeah. Or, probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I saw, you know, the lights come out and I thought, Oh, great. You can't do that. So I pulled over. And he came up behind me, and you know, in those days, it was it was more lenient. And he got out of the car and said, "Well, you won." <laughs> I said, "Oh well, <laughs> yeah, thanks." But <laughs> maybe, uh, but he gave me a ticket for exhibition of speed, speed contest, and reckless driving. And Ooh. in those, and you know, today you'd go to jail for that. Yeah, 
Yeah. But he was really cool about it, and he gave me those tickets when you know it was a big deal, and I had to go home and tell my my parents about it. Mm-hmm. And my father said, "Okay, I'll help you legally through this thing, but you got to cut your hair because in those days I had really long hair." And he said, <laughs> "Cut your hair, and I'll help you with the legal expenses." Punishment: Cut your hair. <laughs> oh well, I think you got off pretty good on that one. That sounds for sure. How about seller's remorse? Is there a car you've let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? I do. In 19, I bought a uh, brand new 911 Carrera in 1984. It was the uh, mm. first new one I'd, I'd had, and I'd driven a couple of them before then, but they were all used. And so I bought an 84 Carrera. Nice. It was this beautiful, dark, uh, ruby red metallic, uh, black sports seats, limited slip, sevens and eights, and yeah. lowered a little bit. It's a beautiful, beautiful car. That is one car I wish I had not sold. Yeah. Not because it was extraordinary in performance. It was just a very, very good-looking car. First, it was re- first generation of uh, Motronic, a true Motronic uh-huh. injection. Yeah. And anyway. Well, let's talk a little bit about this book. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about Kusmal Chronicles. I mean, this is a s- really substantial book. Craig was kind enough to send me a copy. I've really enjoyed it. It is full of so much information. This thing is thick. And cool. And it's just like one of those coffee table books, but you want to just pick it up and keep reading and learning about it. So tell us just a little bit about what prompted you to write this. this is your first book. Tremendous first effort. My goodness. What prompted you to write this and um, a little bit about the process? Well, when Porsche or when Flying Lizard became a development team uh, with Porsche, I think we became a development team in 2006. And when you become a development team, they have you know, they'll send an engineer over from Germany to help you along the way. And the engineer that they sent us was Roland Kuzmal. And I'd, I'd, of course, I'd heard of him through the 80s, r- running all the Perry to Car cars and in the 90s. Um, you know, I, I'd read about him off and on for decades, it seemed like. So I was very happy and a little intimidated by working with him at first because the guy had so much experience and knowledge and was sort of a legend. But he was very open-minded to new ideas, and we worked, it turned out over time, we worked very, very well and easily together. And over the, the five or six years that we, that we worked together, every single race and all, every single test we did, he'd come over for, and we just got to be better and better and better friends. And I thought to myself, maybe 2010, I started to think to myself, you know, someone needs to document this guy's career. Because, you know, as you get to know somebody a little bit, Inevitably, over over meals, you know, you start hearing about some of the things they've done in their career, or funny stories, or fantastic, um, unbelievable stories that you that you know you you only share with people you get to know a little bit. Right. And I started to think to myself, I got to someone needs to document this guy's career. So when we both decided in 2011, we sat in the trailer in one of the flying lizard transporters, and I said, "So how much longer are you going to do this, Roland?" And he said, "I don't know. How how long? How much longer are you going to do it?" And I said. I don't know. And he said, okay, I'll do one more year if you do one more year. I said, <laughs> okay, so we'll both do another year. So we both officially retired from ALMS at the end of 2012. And then in two, right after the end, beginning of 2013, I called him and said, you know, Roland, I've been thinking, I'd like to write a book about you. He paused for a minute and said, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I, I, I said, well, I need to come over and talk to you. And he said, okay, you will come over. And I said, what hotel should I stay in? He said, you won't stay in a hotel. You stay with us. Nice. And so I went over there and stayed with him for seven days the first time. And we just talked and talked and talked and talked. And he said, Craig, why do you want to 
take on a book like this. You've never written a book. and But all that aside, I, I wanted to do the book because whether I had done a book or not, I wanted to do it because the guy's career was was astonishing to me. And I thought there were enough people in the world that would be interested in all the things that he had done and Portia had done that he had helped Portia do, along with many, many other people, to have the successes that they had. I mean, they had plenty of failures, and they, you know, you can't, you can't do anything. You can't move forward by not having a few steps going backwards sometimes. So, right. He he reviewed, you know, basically his career to me, and I and I took all that information and put it into sort of a nar- not sort of, but into a narrative form, and I kept his broken English in this in the theme or in the in the manuscript or story because I wanted people to understand. I didn't want to write it as a as a perfect uh, biography. I wanted to write it as as though he were speaking and telling the whole story, which mm-hmm. he basically was. It was just yeah. I had to take that interpretation and change it a little bit so it was understandable. Completely, because I understand his the way he used the way he speaks English very very well. And but I had to I had to convert some of the, the the words or sentences into someone that didn't understand. Someone with a heavy German accent would understand. Sure. So you did it. <laughs> I did it. And yeah. The main mo- and the motivation was to document his fantastic career and also as a way to say thank you to him for teaching me all the things that he shared with me. Yeah. And he brought me to a level of engineering that I never thought that I would be. Wow. Become. Nice. And I hugely appreciate that. Well, in essence, then, yeah, it's a tribute book. And he did a fantastic it is job. A tribute. Yeah, it's, it's published by Smart Racing Products. And like I said to the listeners at the beginning, uh, Craig's been so kind. He's going to uh, give away a couple of these books, going to autograph them for Cars Yet subscribers who subscribe. So uh, I'll pick a name, a couple names, and uh, we'll do that uh, in a few days. But I want to thank you for doing that. It's a really fantastic book. It is just really, really well done. An incredible first effort. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Craig. If you were a car, what kind of car would Craig be and why? Oh, well, that's simple. I'd be a 911 uh, okay. for sure because 911s, uh, they sort of remind me of me in a way and that, uh, you know, they've just stuck They stuck with that car. You know, the newer car, the newer generation and 991 for sure is in a league of its own. But, you know, they stuck with a concept. Just year after year, decade after decade, and they kept making it better and better. And and it's sort of the way my own life has gone. You know, mm-hmm. I, I had some rough times and and slow times, and uh, I don't know. To me, a nine eleven just sort of typifies the driving, ex- not only the driving experience because they're so unique to drive, and, and they demand that you be very mindful when you're driving them. Yeah, you know, they're not. You know, they're not a car for everybody, but. Uh, but if you understand how they work, you can get amazing uh, results out of them. That's the car I think I would be. There you go. Nice answer. Well, Craig, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, I have a question. What's the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's the fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom-patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit, with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements, and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life. 
car covers, front end masks, dash covers, seat covers, floor mats, and much, much more. Covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle. Covercraft is the right choice. I use them on all my vehicles, and your special vehicles will love them too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. And you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, CARSYEAH. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Craig, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions here and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. Uh-huh. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Uh, I would say I got this from Kuzmal. When you're making changes, set up changes to a racing car, you only change one thing at a time. That sounds academic. But uh, when I was doing it, I would make several changes at a time, and Kuzmal said, no, you change one thing at a time so you know specifically what that change did, good or bad, and learn from it, good or bad. Ah, yes, very wise advice indeed. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? Yeah, it's what we talked about earlier, uh, mediocrity and just sticking with things until until they're well understood and, and not jumping from one thing to another. Yeah, it's that engineering mind that sits inside your skull up there, I think, is where that comes from. <laughs> Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, I watch a, I listen and, and watch a lot of documentaries mm-hmm. on my iPad at, at night. You know, people like Howard Stern, Terry Gross, Charlie Rose, Zach Galifiancus, I think is. Oh, his yeah, yeah. Name. Mm-hmm. Lance Armstrong actually does one called The Forward. And uh, so I, I, I like to listen to what other people are doing in their lives. Mm. And uh, so. Well, gee, I kind of like that, too. I, you're my 619th guest sharing <laughs> your life with the Car Shell <laughs> listeners. So I think we share something there. Uh, yeah. Definitely is a nice way to learn about things. Would you share a book that you've read that you think our listeners would really enjoy? Uh, actually, there are two that I have. Uh, Mark and Vince. Oh, okay. yeah, First absolutely. one is uh, Lone Survivor by Marcus Luttrell. Because it's uh, the movie didn't do that book justice. The the book, the story itself of the thing those guys went through is is mm-hmm. just crazy. I mean the 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 life we live here in the United States it's just unfathomable to to me the the what those guys went through. So yeah. that's one. The other one that I think is fantastic is uh, it's called The American Icon by uh, Bryce Hoffman about uh, Alan Mulally going from Boeing to uh, Ford mm, yeah. and the rough, rough years they went through with, with uh, him getting Ford back on its feet. So those are the two that come to mind. Uh, yeah, Mulally, another credible man, that's for sure. Incre- very incredible guy. Yeah, yeah, very, very cool. Well, re- listeners, I'll remind you, you can find links to all these great resources on Craig's show notes page at carsyad.com slash Craig Watkins. And, of course, I'll also list this fantastic book that Craig wrote Kusmal chronicles the story of Roland Kusmal's contributions to Porsche. Total 
crushing domination in sports racing. <laughs> what a subtitle. I like it. It's very cool. And there's another great place on the Cars Yow website called Guest Recommended Books where these books and all the past 618 guest books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. All right, we're up to the checkered flag here, Craig. You know what the checkered flag's all about. Time to put our foot into it. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but money's no object, I'll buy you whatever you'd like. What would that vehicle be and why? Well, I'll tell you exactly. It'd be a 2004 911 GT3 RS <laughs> because it has excellent power-to-weight ratio, fantastic brakes, structurally very strong, very good aerodynamics. And it has some good modern stuff on it that uh, airbags and ABS are two probably the most significant safety things added to a car uh, since automobiles came around. It has those, and the, the car feels so alive to drive, and its potential is, is huge. And it's still got that old 911 feel that the newer cars don't have. So that's a car, for me... Uh, you, 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 they didn't bring those to the United States, unfortunately. But I've ridden, I've driven Kuzmals a bunch of times, and uh, it's it's a fantastic car. Ah, uh, well, I'm gonna have to find a way to get one imported here for you. But uh, what color would you like? Uh, I think they only. I don't know what colors they came in, but white, white, white. is good. White's yeah. always good. White, white or silver. Yeah. Well, then you can wrap it and change the colors any way you want. Yeah. Uh, you know, put some numbers on the side, take it to the track, or uh, do whatever. Wow. You picked a one special to my heart as well. Those are just absolutely spectacular cars. So very cool. Very cool. Well, Craig, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. And I want to thank you for sharing your stories with me and the listeners and sharing this new book you've written, which is absolutely spectacular. Could you give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that GT3 RS? Well, you know, Mark, you can't really say so much for others. I just I just know for myself that working hard and sticking with things has paid off for me. Mm-hmm. But there's a go- great quote from Thomas Edison that I, I've always liked since the first day I saw it and I read it. It says, opportunity is missed by, by most people because it comes dressed in overalls and looks like work. <laughs> and uh, to, to me, that is... Uh, That's so true. It, it is true. You, we, we, none of us get anywhere without putting a lot of effort into it. So, Boy, um, isn't that the truth? And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you, and how can they get a, their hands on uh, a copy of this book? Uh, you can go to kusmallchronicles.com to order the book, and you can also order it through smartracingproducts.com. There you go. Very cool. Well, yeah. listeners, again, you can find all these great links that Craig has been so kind to share at carsyad.com. Just type Craig Watkins into the search bar. His page will pop up with links. And again, as a reminder, Craig's been so kind to give away a couple of these books. He's going to autograph them. I'm going to pick some names out of the Cars Yeah subscriber hat. So uh, if you're not a subscriber, go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button, and I'll send you my free filler-up book. It's an e-book with a bunch of cool pictures and quotes in there. Your name will be drawn, and, uh, well, two people's names will be drawn, but your name will be in the hat to, uh, for a chance to win this fantastic book. I encourage you to check it out. Craig, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the listeners and with me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up 
a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!